Well, good morning. We are glad you're here this morning and excited that you're here. Cameron, can I get some lights up here, buddy? That would be awesome. I don't know who's got those. But we're glad you're here this morning. I want you to repeat after me. No. Okay, a little more convincing than that. Here we go. No. Empty. Seats. All right, that's the motto for tonight, all right? We are so excited about tonight, but no empty seats. This is going to be one of the most amazing Christmas Eve Eve services you've ever been to before. Maybe the first one you've been to before, but it's going to be awesome. We're going to have a lot of fun, but most importantly, we're going to get down to the most important message I will ever share from this stage, and it's the gospel of Jesus. And so we want you to bring your neighbors and your friends, and it's going to be an amazing, amazing night. Now, several weeks ago, beginning in December, rightly so, we began our journey in the gospel of Matthew. It's going to be a nice, long journey, because we're going to walk through the gospel of Matthew over the next year, and I'm super excited about that. And as we began the journey, we started with the birth narrative, which would be the right place to start at this time of the year. And as we looked at it, we said the primary thing about Matthew we need to know in the birth narrative is this. It's all about the light has come. And it's so important for us to remember that in a season where things can get chaotic. Amen? Amen. Anybody been shopping the last couple days? Come on, let me see your hands. It's all right. We're not going to rat you out. I was there yesterday. Would chaos be the right word? To describe it, some people know, well, stupid. I mean, you can go through a lot of a lot of adjectives, right? I mean, let's be honest, people are nuts, but I love it. I don't know why I love getting that, but but in the midst of craziness, we need to be reminded of this. It's all about the light has come. It's all about the light of the world. Jesus has come. And so that's where we began our journey. As we began Matthew, we said this: that Matthew predominantly was written to the Jewish people of the day. And we know that because the references Matthew used, the terminology Matthew used, and in chapter 1, even in a genealogy that we might look at and go, you know what, that makes no sense. It was important for Matthew because it was Matthew's attempt to remind a Jewish nation that Jesus is the promised Messiah. The one you've been waiting for is found as a baby in a manger. This Jesus of Nazareth who has lived sinless life, died on a cross, and rose from the grave, that's the Jesus that's the king that you've been waiting for. He told him that. And then in the, a little bit later in chapter 1, we came across a guy by the name of Joseph. I mean, I, when I read the Christmas story, I'm always enamored with Joseph. I know Mary's the one that all this stuff happened to, but we always talk about Mary. But Joseph, this guy who's betrothed, which means he was legally married to Mary, finds this scandalous situation, his legal wife, who's betrothed to is pregnant and it's not his. But yet in the midst of the story, the one thing we find out over and over and over again about Joseph is this, is that Joseph was faithful. Even when it made no sense, even when the scandal was at an all-time high and he wanted to bail, he still trusted the Lord. What a great reminder to us, because I don't know about you, but I'm not super smart, but what I do know is this. A lot of life happens and it makes no sense to me. Anybody resonate with that? But here's the one thing I want to be said about me, as that even when life made no sense, that I was faithful to my Lord, just like Joseph. And then last week, we talked about the villain of the Christmas story, Herod, right? I mean, typically we think about Herod, we think about this villain. But if you were here last week, some of you understood this, that when you left here, you realize I'm not all that different than Herod. Yeah, I'm not a king. Yeah, I haven't issued a decree to kill all babies two and under male in my neighborhood. I've not done that. At the same token, we realize this. All of us are troubled at times like Herod was. 
All of, some of us may be bought into the lies that we seem to tell or deceived ourselves. Or some of us come to the table today with a broken heart. But the good news for us last week was this, is that in Christ we can find peace. In Christ we can find forgiveness. And in Christ we can find restoration. So we've learned a lot about these first couple chapters. And so today we're going to look at the last group of people in the Christmas narrative, and it's the Magi or the wise men. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 2 is where I'm going to be today. We were there last week, but I'll go back to Matthew chapter 2. And as you're turning there, I want to give you some information about the Magi that I feel like is extremely important for our conversation today. The Magi or the wise men, however you want to look at it, these Magi were extremely skilled men. In fact, we, we predominantly know one area they were skilled, but they were skilled in many areas. They were skilled in astronomy. Most of us know that already. They were skilled in astronomy. They were skilled in agriculture. They were skilled in uh, math. They were skilled in uh, different things like, um, um, uh, let me see if I find it here, this, uh, the cult history. The cult meaning they were skilled in different worship styles, how different people worship. I mean, they were skilled in a lot of different areas, including history. Now, because they were skilled in so many different areas, these guys were given a tremendous amount of religious and political authority and influence. And because they were skilled in all these areas, that was the reason they were given the name wise men. Does that make sense? Or magi. The word magi translates Wise men. Now, magi were monotheists, which means they believed in one God. Now, they didn't necessarily, couldn't define who the one God was, but they believed there wasn't multiple gods, and that was important because in the Greek culture that Jesus was born into, the Greek, if you've ever studied Greek mythology, there's a God for everything. There's a God of the sun, a God of the moon, there's Zeus, there's Apollos, there's Aphrodite, there's Athena. I mean, there's just a lot of different gods, and the magi would have rejected that and said, no, there is one God, we're just not sure who he is. Now, we first see the Magi in Scripture and the book of Daniel. One of the first places we see them is in the book of Daniel. And in the book of Daniel, we find out that the Magi, or the wise men, had the highest office of official outside the king in the, in the area of Babylon. In the Babylonian Empire, the Magi were second only to the king. Now, if you remember the story of Daniel, Daniel's translating a dream for King Nebuchadnezzar that the Magi couldn't, they couldn't uh, interpret. And because they could interpret this dream, Daniel was put over all the magi of Babylon. He was elevated to be in charge of all the magi, all the wise men. And so what King Nebuchadnezzar was going to do, because the other magi could not interpret his dream, he was just going to kill them all. He's got Daniel. Why do I need anybody else? But Daniel pleaded for their lives, and because of Daniel pleading for their lives and the king not killing the magi, guess what happened? All these magi now respected and admired Daniel. Now, most scholars would tell you this, that Daniel, if you read the book of Daniel, here's one undercurrent you see all throughout, and it's this, that any opportunity Daniel had to make his God known, he did it, right? Do you remember when they put out this decree that you couldn't pray, you go and pray to one, you know, the king and, and all this kind of stuff, and Daniel prayed, and he didn't pray in silence, he had the windows open, and he prayed there so everybody could see that he believed there was one true God. That's what got him sent to the lion's den, right? And even King Darius, when he threw him in there, said, may your God protect you, Daniel, right? So most scholars would say this, that because Daniel was over these magi, and because Daniel gave every opportunity he had to make God known, that's most likely that Daniel spent his time overseeing these wise men and pouring into them the truth of this one God. 
pointing them to the truth of the Old Testament prophecies of a Messiah that was going to come. Now, why is that important for us today? So when we come to the wise men in the New Testament, it's not this, it wasn't like, oh my gosh, there's the king of the Jews. No, this is something they would have been very well aware of. Their oral tradition would have passed it down from generation to generation, the very things that Daniel most likely taught their forefathers and their ancestors. So as we look at the Magi today, here's what I want us to do. I want us to look at the journey that they are on. Okay, the first part of the thing, I want, there's three things I want you to notice. Here's the first one. Look at me in verse 1 and 2. It says this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, or magi, from the east, came to Jerusalem, saying, underline that word, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his, his star, not a star, his star, when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now, here's the first part of their journey. It was a journey of faith. The Magi, or the wise men's journey, was a journey of faith. Now, one thing I find interesting in verse 1 is it says, they came into Jerusalem saying. That word saying means nothing to you necessarily, but it is, in the Greek language, it's a present participle. And here's what that means. It means they weren't coming in declaring, they were coming in asking everyone. So in other words, they came into town asking everyone, where's this king of the Jews? Where's this king that's been born? Where's this baby? They come into town asking everyone. Now, for them, for these magi, they knew that this birth was a monumental event. And they just assumed that if we go to Jerusalem where this king has been born, surely everybody in Jerusalem will know where this king's at. For example, when, when Prince Harry got married, you think all the people in Great Britain knew that he got married? All people in England knew? Come on, do you think everybody knew? They're not a trick question. Yes. In fact, not only did they know, it was televised. And, and unfortunately, so many times, it takes over way too many channels that I want to watch, and I don't give a rip about it, right? I mean, so everybody knew. So the Magi coming into Jerusalem going, surely everybody knows this is their king. He has been born. So they come into town saying, which means they're asking everybody, where is this king? Why? Because they were searching for a king. They were searching for someone who was going to reign and to rule and who was going to be just. And so the wise men come to Jerusalem. Now, here's something I want you to notice with me in this story. The problem with the wise men was this, is that in their searching, in their searching, they made some wrong assumptions. In their searching for this king, they trusted their own reasoning. Think about it. A star appears, and then they start making these assumptions. Now, follow with me just for a minute. When you think about the star appearing, there's two schools of thought for most conservative theologians and historians. It's this. Some people would say that, uh, that uh, wise men or magi were astrologers, which they were skilled in astrology. And many would say that we don't know how many there was. I know we think there's three because there was three gifts. We'll get to that in a moment. But we don't really know how many magi there really were. We have no idea. But they would say that they believe that magi actually believed that constellations represented different nations. And that when a new star would appear in a constellation, that meant a new king had been born. And because they're star watchers, when a new star appeared, then they would travel to that country and worship that newborn king. Some people would be in that school of thought. And then others would say, no, 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 that's not true. The reason they were watching the stars is because the heritage of what they had learned from Daniel, who taught their forefathers. And so these magi were watching the stars because they couldn't wait for the arrival of this king of the Jews. Here's the point. It doesn't matter which one you land. The bottom line is the star appeared. Amen? 
It appeared. Here's the problem. When the star appeared, they made some assumptions. Here was the assumption the Magi made, which was a wrong assumption. If a new king has been born, he must be the son of the current what? King, right? Come on, are you with me on that? If you're with me, say I'm with you. Man, I don't want you to lose me today. Listen, the, the assumption they made is that if a new king has been born, he must be the son of the current king. Because when you read the story, and you're like, I don't know, go back and reread it. The star appears. They didn't follow, we have no biblical data that they followed the star to King Herod's palace. We have no data for that. All we know is the star appeared, and they go to Jerusalem. They made an assumption that if there's a new king born, it must be the son of the current king. They trusted their own understanding. That was their problem. But notice this. When they stopped trusting themselves, the star reappears. Look with me in verse 9. It may not be on the screen, but look with me if you have your Bibles. Verse 9. It says, after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, in other words, no, no big deal here, and behold, the star that had been seen when it rose went before them, and it came to rest over the place where the child was. In other words, when they stopped trusting their own opinions and their own assumptions, the star reappears, and guess where the star takes them? To the exact place where Jesus was at and the home he was at. Now, here's why that's important. These magi were on a journey of faith. And when they trusted their own understanding and their own assumptions, it led them astray. It led them to Herod. But when they trusted the provision that God had made, and what was the provision God had made? A star. When they trusted what God had done for them, where did it take them? Come on, where did it take them? Right to the place God wanted them, where Jesus was. Now, here's why I'm laboring this. It's because we are a lot like the Magi. Some of us in the room today, maybe we're searching. Maybe some of us today, man, we're, we're, we're seriously, we are searching, and, and we're trying to fill the void that's in our heart. And the problem is many of us have made the wrong assumptions how to fill that void. Some of us think, well, if I just try harder, maybe I'll feel more fulfilled. Wrong. Well, maybe if I have better intentions, I will feel more fulfilled. Wrong. Well, somehow if my good can outweigh the bad, maybe I'll feel more accomplished and I'll feel more fulfilled in life. And the truth is, wrong. And many of us are like magi, and we're searching, and we're making all these assumptions, and they are the wrong assumptions. And these assumptions always lead us astray, just like it did the magi going to Herod's house. But here's the thing I want you to think about. When we trust God and we trust his word, it always takes us to where he wants us. Amen? Do you believe that? Okay, five of you. Do you believe that this morning? That when we listen to God and we trust him and trust his word, he is always right. And he will always take us to the place he wants us to be. God is always trustworthy. And maybe some of you today, you find yourself in a season and you're, you're on a journey of faith. You are struggling. Listen, their journey of faith was simply this, that when they trusted their own understanding and made their own assumptions, they were led astray. But when they trusted the provision of God, they went to exactly the place where God wanted them to be. Same thing's true for you. Same thing's true for me. When I lean on my own reasoning and my own understanding, I always screw it up. Always. But when I put my faith and my trust in what God is wanting me to do, 
He always takes me to the right place. He always leads me the right direction. For these guys, first of all, it was a journey of faith. Second of all, look with me in verse 9 through 11. We see this. He says this in verse 9. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that had been seen that rose went before them until it rested over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Now, uh, in my Bible, I have it underlined almost uh, for me. Um, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what sport team you may be a fan of. Maybe you're, maybe you're like godly people and the Patriots. I don't know, or some of you are Packer fans. I'm sorry about that, uh, Miami. I don't know. But have you ever been to a, a professional football game or a college football game? Come on, anybody ever been to one? How do they cheer? Are they excited about it? They're like, oh, that was just great. I'm glad we scored a touchdown. I mean, is that how they do it? No, 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 no. They are exceedingly filled with joy. Amen. And how shame on us when we come into a worship service and we worship the King of kings and Lord of lords and we're not filled with exceedingly joy. Ouch. Okay, anyway, let's go back to the verse. Here you go. He says this. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. And they off, opening the treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh now listen their journey was not only a journey of faith it was a journey of worship we find out in the very first few verses i read a moment ago that they had one 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 reason to go visit this king they wanted to worship him they wanted to go and they were to fall down at his feet and they were to worship this king now the interesting thing is this is that out of the reflection of the desire of their heart to worship him they offered him three gifts. And you know what those three gifts are? Gold, frankincense and myrrh. But let's talk about them for just a minute because I think this is very relative to us today and it's important for us. First of all, let's talk about gold. Gold is what? Is it like the most precious or the least precious metal we have? Okay, so you're not sure. It's the most, all right? It's the most. That's why your wife would like gold, something, and maybe a diamond in the middle of it. I don't know. But gold is the most precious metal that we have. And for someone to give someone else gold, in this day and time, it was a picture of, of royalty, a picture of value, and a picture of power. So when these wise men give Jesus the gift of gold, what are they saying? They're saying, we recognize that you're a king. I know you're a baby in a house, not a manger, in a house right now, and you're going to grow up, but we recognize you as the king of the Jews. We're giving you gold to reflect that we know you're going to be a man of power, of value, and you're a royalty. And what a gift for a baby. And then they gave frankincense. Frankincense was the most expensive sweetest smelling perfume you could find in that day frankincense and frankincense wasn't used that often in fact there are only a couple times that it was really used one of those times was in a worship service sometimes they would use it to put it over a sacrifice that was offered to god other times they would take frankincense and they would burn it to create this beautiful odor that was to celebrate the holiness of god so when they gave Jesus frankincense, what were they saying? They were saying, we recognize that you're divine, that you are deity, that you're not just man. You are a God man. You are the son of God. They gave him frankincense. Picture of his deity. And then they gave him myrrh. Myrrh, I've never, I've, I've only seen myrrh one time. I had a pastor friend of mine that he's, he was big on ordering all this stuff online. So he got gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then I just went over and felt it because I had never seen it before. And, and myrrh is really an oily resin 
that's bitter to the taste. You say, Doug, why'd you taste it? I don't know. I just had to put it in my mouth. But anyway, I had to taste it. And it's oil and it's bitter to the taste. And when you mix myrrh with wine, which I would know nothing about, when you mix it with wine, it makes an anesthetic. You can, you can read about that. It makes an anesthetic. And they use it for wounds and things. But predominantly in this time, myrrh was mixed with aloes and it was used for embalming. In the first century, that's predominantly the reason. So when they gave Jesus gold, we get it, he's king. When they gave him frankincense, we get it, he is God-man. But when they gave him myrrh, it was a foreshadowing that one day he was going to be the perfect sacrificial lamb of God. What a moment. And when he, I mean, just, I thought about this this morning as I was praying. Can you imagine what Mary must have thought with gold? Yes, he's king. Frankincense, yes, he is God, because that was a weird moment when that angel showed up and said, I'm the child of God. Yes, I get it. But when they hand him myrrh, and it foreshadows that one day he's going to die and be the sacrificial lamb, can you imagine the heart of Mary in that moment? I can't. Here's what I know about these gifts. They were all awesome gifts. They were precious gifts. And every gift cost something. They were all expensive gifts. And here's my question to us today. Like the Magi, what gift are you going to give God this year? Now, I, know we, I know that sounds so stupid. You're like, that makes no sense because, you know, first of all, God has everything, right? He's like your, you know, most men in the room. We have everything, but God's got everything. You can't give God anything. I mean, God is the creator of everything. And I know it sounds kind of stupid and bizarre, but I want you to think with me on my crazy level today, all right? What gift are you going to offer God this year? In other words, what is the most precious gift you can offer God? They offered gold to Jesus. So what is the most precious gift you can offer God? Well, let me tell you what it is. It's your heart. Right? It's your heart. It's your heart because when you give God your heart, that means you've given him your devotion. You've given him your loyalty. You've given him your faith. You've given him your conviction. You've given him your passion. Everything that's deep within you, you are giving it to God. The most precious thing any of us can give the Lord is our hearts. Everything in us. Let me ask you this, what's the sweetest, fragrant thing you can give God today? And am I talking about you burning potpourri? That's not what I'm talking about. What's the sweetest thing in the nostrils of God today would be our praise and our prayers? You know one thing I think we forget about is that when you pray, listen, I'm going to tell you something that's going to blow your mind. You ready? When you pray, God really does hear you. Well, Doug, I don't feel like it gets below, above the ceiling in the room. No, no, you're wrong. One of my favorite passages in the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 3, it says this. When God's talking to Moses, he says, And Moses, I'm sending you because I have heard the cries of my people. He heard the cries of his people. That God was listening to the cries of his people. And listen to me. One of the sweetest things that we can give God this season is not just our heart, but our prayers. Crying out to God. Does he know all our needs? You better believe it. But cry out to him anyway. I mean, there needs to be a moment in our lives where we cry out in desperation to God that, God, we need you. Because when we pray, it is us communing with the holy God. It's us talking to him. Can I say this is about praying too? It's not all about you talking either. Sometimes prayer is about us listening. How many of you have a problem with listening? The rest of you are liars. We all do. Right? Hey, listen, the sweetest thing, the most precious is your heart you can give God. The sweetest thing you can offer is your prayers. Why? Listen to me. This is going, I love this. The psalmist says, who am I that you're mindful of me? 
You know what that tells me? That God is mindful of us. Do we deserve it? No. Should he pay attention to our whining? No. Should he listen to our prayers while most of our prayers are selfish? No. But he does. And he cares. And he loves us. And I'm just telling you, some of you have just checked out with God. You're not communing with God anymore. You think by showing up to a service that somehow you're in relationship and you're fellowshipping and you're communing with God. You are mistaken by that. This is not when that happens. That happens when you're driving down the car and you're praying with your eyes open, obviously. And you're praying and you're crying out to God. Or you're in your room. Or you're in your prayer closet. Or you're at the end of the service on an altar. I mean, some of us need to realize that we need to offer God the gift of our prayers. That we commune and communicate with him. Some of us haven't done that in a long time. That's the sweetest thing you can offer him. Let me ask you this. What is the greatest sacrifice you can give him? Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like thinking about sacrifice too much because sacrifice typically hurts, right? Come on, are you with me on that? Sacrifice hurts. And I'm asking you, they gave him myrrh a foreshadowing of the sacrifice he would make. So I'm asking you, this Christmas season, what's the most precious thing you can give him? It's your heart. What's the sweetest thing you can give him? It's your prayers. What's the most sacrificial thing you can give him? Your life, right? Paul said it this way. For me to live is Christ, and to die is what? Gain. You know what Paul's saying? He's saying, Lord, I want to live a life surrendered to you. And I'm telling you the most sacrificial thing you can give the Lord this year is your life. Say, Lord, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, I'm here. Like Chloe is leaving Tuesday, Chloe? You leaving? Is it Tuesday? Thursday. I was so close. Only two days off. She's leaving Thursday and she's going to the Middle East and she's going to be doing missions for at least six months, right? Oh, wow. Okay. So she just upped the ante right there. Right? So she just raised the bar like on a crazy level. So she's there for two. I mean, listen, I'm sure there was a moment in Chloe's heart where she was like, you know what? America is awful, awesome place to live. I mean, Walmart, while it's crazy, is still a great place to go to buy stuff. Right? I mean, all these things. But listen, there's a part where she goes, okay, Lord, wherever you send me, I'm going. If that means the Middle East for two and a half years, that means the Middle East for two and a half years. Now, I'm not saying to really serve the Lord, you have to go to the Middle East for two and a half years. That's an awesome way. But I'm saying some of us, it may be going across the street to our neighbors and share with them about coming tonight or share with them about the gospel. Listen, I, we need to have a heart that says, Lord, I'm willing to sacrifice my life wherever you want me to go. Whatever you want me to do, I'm in. All my chips are in, God. I am all in. I'm telling you, many of us, that's not where we live, right? God, I'll follow you if, I'll follow you, but. See, the thing I find most intriguing in Scripture is these guys that continually came up to Jesus, and they said stuff like this, hey, we'll follow you wherever you go, and Jesus calls them out. says, great, let the dead bury the dead. And then we don't hear from that guy anymore. And they said, hey, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. He says, great. Well, let me go tell my family goodbye. No, 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 no. If you put your hand in the plow and you look back, you're not even fit to be my disciple. I mean, Jesus continually called people out. Why? Because the commitment people wanted to give was right here. The commitment Jesus calls us to is way up here. And I'm just saying for some of us, maybe the gift that we need to give this year is the gift of sacrifice, and that's sacrificing our lives, saying, Lord, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, I'm all in. 
Now listen to me real carefully before I move on to the last thing. That's a dangerous thing to say, isn't it? Come on. Is that dangerous? You better believe it. And I hope some of you walk the line of danger today. I dare you to do it. And for some of you that really need a push, I double dog dare you to do it. Right? Why? Because that's one of the greatest gifts we can offer is our gift of sacrifice. Lord, here am I. Use me. Send me. Wherever, whenever, to whomever, I'm yours. It was a journey of worship. And let me give you one more thing about their journey. Look at verse 12. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. It was a journey of change. It's a journey of faith, of worship, and of change. And listen to me. Once they met Jesus, there was no going back. Do you get the implication there already? Once we've had an encounter with Jesus, there's no going back. Right? Amen? In fact, I don't want to go back. But the tension I find in my life over and over and over again is that when I accept Christ as my Savior and I've done that and I'm trying to live for him, the old devil tries to get me to go back to my old habits, to my old behaviors, to my old attitudes. And there's got to be a moment and all of us go, Jesus has changed me. When I said yes to Jesus, it changed everything. And I'm not going back. I'm not going back to the addiction. I'm not going back to the foul mouth. I'm not going back to the bad attitude. I'm not going back to the rebellion. I am not going back. Listen to me. If you're a follower of Jesus, our lives should be reflecting the change that happened within us. Now, some would say this. If there's never been a change, there's never been an encounter. Now, think about that for a moment. One of my favorite characters in the Old Testament is Jacob. And one of my favorite stories is that Jacob, in the moment, in faithfulness and struggle and in pain and agony and all that, he wrestled with God. Do you remember that story? Okay, you ought to know that. And God wouldn't think he was winning, right? And then what did God do? He just touched his hip. Pop! Right out of socket, right? Here's the favorite part about it. When you go to the book of Hebrews, it reminds us that Jacob walked with a limp the rest of his life, right? Now, why is that important? That limp was a daily reminder to Jacob, I've had an encounter with God, and he won. He's king. And every time I limp, it's a reminder of the God that I love and I serve. And I'm asking you, is there something in your life that every day when you get up, every day as you move through the day, there's something in your life that's a reminder of the encounter and the moment that Jesus changed your life? Our lives should be reflected of the change that we've experienced. And if it's not, we have to ask, did I really ever have an encounter? These guys had a journey of worship, of faith, and a journey of change. And here's the question I want to leave us all with today, and it's this. Where do you find yourself in this journey? Because here's what I know about every one of us. We are all on a journey, every single one of us, from the point of birth Till the Lord calls us home or, come, or comes again, we are all on a journey. And every day sometimes is a new journey, amen? And sometimes that journey is greeted with the enthusiasm and excitement, and sometimes it's greeted with a lot of tears and anguish. But we are all on a journey. And I want you to ask yourself, as it relates to these magi, where do you find yourself in the journey? 
Are you here this morning and you are searching and you're searching to fill the void that's raging within your life? Well, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If that's you, would you just simply trust the truth of Christmas? Here's the truth. God became one of us. He became one of us and lived a sinless life and he died for us that we might know forgiveness of sin and have a personal relationship with him. That's the truth of Christmas. God became one of us. And I'm asking you today, if you're just searching, would you just trust the truth of Christmas? The only way you're going to fill the void in your life is by surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. By just simply saying, I know that I'm a sinner, and I know that I've rebelled against you, but I want your forgiveness in my life, and I declare that I want you to be the Lord, the boss, and the master of my life. And some of you, listen, some of you today searching, the search should be over. All you have to do is trust him. For some of you, the searching can be over today if you'll do that. Or maybe are you here today and you are worshiping like the Magi? I mean, are you really worshiping? Are you offering things, uh, gifts to the Lord? Are you offering the gifts of your heart, your prayer life, or just your life in general? Are you offering that to the Lord? Or are you saying, you know what? My heart is my heart. I'm going to keep it to myself. Yes, I love the Lord, but I'm still going to be devoted to these things. No, there is no room for two masters in your life. Jesus said it, and we're going to get to it in Matthew. There's only room for one. You can't serve both God and money or anything else. It's one or the other. Because you will love one and hate the other. You'll be endeared to one and despise the other. You can't serve two masters. It can't happen. So I'm asking you, are we willing to worship like the Magi and give the Lord some gifts this season? Maybe it's the gift of our heart. Maybe it's the gift of our prayers and communicating with him. Maybe it's the gift of our life saying, Lord, today I'm here. And I haven't been here. I've been struggling, God. I've been doing life on my own, but today, I'm here. Whatever you want to do with me, God, I want to be your vessel. Wherever, whenever, and to whomever. Here I am, God. Would you use me? And I'm just telling you, if you're here today and you would say, Doug, I am not giving God the gifts that he deserves of my life, my heart, and my prayers. Here's the thing I want you to do today. I want you to find yourself at this altar, and I want you to repent. Because doesn't he deserve all those things? Come on. Doesn't he deserve all those things? When I think about what he's done for me, and I want to hold out on him, shame on me. Because he deserves all those things. And if you're a believer and you're not giving him those gifts, I'm going to ask you today to repent and to recommit to offering yourself to him today. Or maybe you're here today, and here's the question I have for you. Have you truly been changed like the Magi? Has your heart truly been changed and if it has here's the attitude i want you to have today i'm not going back ever i'm not going back to sinful ways i'm not going back to rebellion against god i'm not going back i'm moving forward and for some of you that's what i want you to pray today so for everybody in the room i'm going to ask you just to take a step today for some of you that step is trusting jesus your lord and savior for some of you in the room, that's a step of saying, Lord, I've not given you anything for Christmas this year, so I'm going to offer you my heart. I'm going to offer you my prayers. I'm going to offer you my life. God, I'm going to come to this altar and get on my face and go, God, I give all that I have and everything that I am to you today. Or I'm going to ask you just to take a step.
and say, Lord, everything within me, I want you to use. I want to be that vessel like I've never been before in my life and offer it to you today. So I'm just going to ask you, would you do that? Would you make that moment where you say, Lord, I'm here today and I don't want to go back. I mean, how many of you, honestly, come on, just look at it for a minute. How many of you remember the season of your life when it could be reflected in saying that you were rebellious toward God? Do you remember a season of your life like that? How fun was that season? How exciting was that season? How blessed were you during that season? Do you ever want to go back to that? But isn't it interesting that Scripture says that while we're free in Christ, many of us act like we're slaves to sin? Come on, are you with me on that? Many of us know we're free in Christ, but we live slaves of sin. And there's got to be a moment in our lives like these magi would go, my life has been changed, and I'm not going back. I'm going forward with what God has for me. And will you make that commitment today? I'm asking you to take some steps today. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Everybody stand with me, if you would, just for a moment. Every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you just to stand with me just for a moment. And I want to pray for us. And when I say amen, we're going to sing. And I want you to know this altar is open. If you want to come and say, Lord, I'm not going back. I don't want to go back. I can't go back. I'm going to ask you to come and get on your knees and just cry out to God. Or maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, as a believer, I've not given God any part of my heart or my life this year. And I've become pretty selfish. So today I'm going to give you my prayers. I'm going to give you my heart. Today I'm going to give him my life and say, God, whenever, wherever, and with whomever, just use me. I'm going to ask you to take that step. Or if you're here today and you're searching, I'm going to ask you to take a step and trust Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you don't want to make your way to the front. Maybe you want to take a card in the back of a chair and write your name and just say, today I gave my life to Christ. Today I said yes to the Lord. Today I said, yes, I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness and want you to be the boss and master of my life. But don't leave this room today if you don't take that step and you don't know him. Please take him. Father God, I love you. And I thank you for today. And I thank you for the Magi. And I thank you as we look at the Magi, we learn so many different things that, that their journey really was a journey of faith. And that when they trusted your provision, man, it led them to the right place. And God, there's so many people in this room. Maybe there's somebody searching. And I, I just pray today, God, that the search would be over. But they would realize that everything they're looking for is found in the person and the work of Jesus. In him, they can find forgiveness. In him, they find salvation. In him, they find acceptance. And I pray for those who are searching that today they would give their life to Jesus. But can I also pray for those of us in the room that are believers, that we would look at the act of worship of the Magi and how sweet and how precious and how costly those gifts were. And that you would force us to ask ourselves, what kind of gifts are we offering you? And again, I just pray for us as believers, from, from the children to the, to the oldest men and women in the room, that maybe we could come to this altar and say, Lord, today I want to recommit my heart to you. I want to give it back to you. I've, I've taken ownership, and it's not mine to take ownership of. God, I want to offer my prayers to you because I've been angry lately, God. I've been struggling lately, God. And today I want to come back and reconvene our relationship and communication. Or God, maybe somebody would just want to come today and get on their faith and say, Lord, give you my life. Send me, use me, mold me, shape me. God, I'm yours. And so God, I pray for believers that we would fill this altar today 
making those kind of declarations. That ultimately as believers, we would look at our lives and just declare, we're not going back. I'm not going back to apathy. I'm not going back to mediocre. I want to live in your grace and in your blessing and experience all that you have for us. God, I just pray today that you would speak to all of our hearts and that your Holy Spirit would fall fresh on us and move in this moment. And that, God, I pray that as we sing this song, that as we feel you lead us, that we would respond. If we need prayer, I'm going to ask some of our men and ladies to step to the front side of the room that they would seek prayer. If they need to come to the altar, they would do that. If they need to trust Jesus, they would do that, Lord. Take over this moment. For it's in your precious and your glorious son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Here's what we're going to do, all right? I'm going to ask some of our men and ladies and wives, if you would just kind of make your way to the front of the room, Don and Terry and Randy, if you guys are, and Tim and Carl, whoever's in the room, deacons and wives, just make your way to the uh, corners if you would. And maybe today you just need somebody to pray for you. And they'd love to pray with you. But if you're a believer today and you're serious today and go, you know what, I've not given the Lord anything that he deserves, would you join me here today and say, I'm going to make a new commitment to the Lord? Or if you don't know Christ today, would you trust him? I would love to talk with you. Or you can put it on a card and I'll call you. But don't let this moment slip us by. This is not just a weekly invitation. There's a king that we are worshiping that truly wants to invade and change and transform our lives. And are we open to that? So as the Lord leads you, would you truly respond this morning? Patrick, you lead us, brother.